Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the dark, dark times of pandemic lockdown. Fortunately for you, we have pre-recorded episode about women from history that you may not have heard of, so you still get to listen to our sweet, sweet voices as we're together. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. That was like you were setting up for like masterpiece theater or something. That was that was, that was, that was excellent. Like, but nah, this is whining like, about her story. You needed to be in a tall back chair next to a fireplace with like a smoking jacket and a thick leather book in front of you that you you like look up like you just saw yep. the camera and you're like, oh, oh let me hello. close my book. I didn't realize you had entered. But Welcome. No, this is not Masterpiece <laughs> Theater. This is Whining, Whining About, about Herstory. Woo! Yep. So we're pre-recording some episodes. So maybe we'll be able to get through the pandemic without as many remote recordings. I think it worked out just fine. None. So we had a lot of issues. First wave pandemic. Jesus Christ. So first of all. Uh, if you're not aware, Minnesota is going into a, it's not One, like a full no, on lockdown, it is. it's a pause. You are only allowed to see your own household for the next four weeks. Right. But it's, it, it's yeah. not as, it's not as severe as like the initial quarantine. It's more, they, they're calling it a pause. Like these things are paused and these things are still open and like hair salons, right. like stuff that wasn't open the first time is still open, like hair salons. It's yep. they're mostly targeting like the bars and restaurants. Yep. Because They've people had a lot of problems. Fucking yeah. Well, you can't because you're eating. This is true. And and yeah, they're limiting but it, it's it like to, people are getting together. They're, and, li- they're limiting it to one household only because, yeah, the spread everywhere, not just in our state, but the spread everywhere has been more s- small gatherings. Yeah. Uh, the public health official in our county actually said that uh, you were more likely to get it from like a friend coming to your house than you going out into public. So I can still still go to Quick Trip <laughs> to I mean, get technically dinner. It's a grocery store. Yes. So actually, it was funny. Cause I mean, and the, it's a gas station. I'm pretty sure both of those are open. During during the first wave of quarantine, I didn't go into a grocery store because I get my groceries delivered. So the only place oh, I went fancy. I do, was I do grocery pickup, trip. but ah, see, I didn't want to fucking deal with it. <laughs> I'm like, I just bad, just actually. just leave them on the step and I'll deal with it. I didn't want to pay the extra ten bucks to get my groceries delivered. See, I uh, I have a membership. Okay, I didn't want to pay the extra however much per year. I don't get groceries. Although maybe if I did that, I would get my groceries delivered all the time. Oh, like that's how I do my grocery shopping. That might be a thing. And then I supplement with Quick Trip. And this is their eggs and stuff are (laughs) super cheap. Yeah. Well, and they have eggs, bananas. They have a really great meat meat cabinet. I always call it their meat counter, and that's not what it is. It's like a little refrigerator full of meat. I once told Justin that, and he's like, it's a gas station. I'm like, yeah, but they have really good meat. Well, and the cool thing about Quick Trip is they actually categorize themselves as a convenience yeah. store before a gas station. They have station. a full kitchen. Like, a yeah. lot of their food is actually, like, yes, some of it is microwaved, but a lot of it is actually made. I know someone that works in a Quick Trip qu- kitchen. That's amazing. Yeah, so we fancy up in Minnesota well, and no, the Midwest. Is. Quick um, Trip. The only bummer about our Quick Trip is that you can't get as much alcohol i think you can get some alcohol if i it's, think it's three, as, three two we had this conversation but it has to be a certain uh percentage but in wisconsin oh boy you can get everything 
Yeah, in Minnesota, unless it's a from liquor, wine coolers to malt right. liquor, unless, <laughs> unless it's a liquor store with a separate entrance. So, like grocery stores can have a full liquor store, it just has to have a separate entrance. Um, they can only sell three two, which I think is three point two alcohol by volume. In Wisconsin? No, in Minnesota. Oh yeah, yeah. I was just explaining for the non-Minnesotan listeners. I thought you were talking about Wisconsin. No, I was Wisconsin, like, you can sell. I think everything yeah i don't think it matters yeah you know uh they have the I mean, come on i sold guns from a walmart <laughs> they have once upon a baby with its own like liquor section in store <laughs> no that's horrible yeah that is pretty bad no i'm i'm thinking i'm not trying to like say drink when you're pregnant i'm thinking like you've had the baby you're burnt out you're buying some baby clothes and you also and you need, need a some rose <laughs> and you need something stronger than three two yes Oh, God. How did this happen? Where are we? All right. Drinking wine. Well, thank you Speaking so much that, for listening to another episode. Kelly is going to introduce the wine because it is hers this week. And it's, um, we'll see, because it has a weird smell. Oh, I already tasted <laughs> no. it. Oh, you did? I like had a little sip. I was like, wait, I want this to yep. be recorded. Um, so I went with something fancy, and you'll understand after I talk about my person. So I went with Biela Per... And feels by fancy, we mean impronounceable. <laughs> um, so it's a Sabine 2019. I'm not gonna try the rest of the words on that bottle. Uh, <laughs> Cotu de Axim Province. I'm assuming that's where it's from. So it says, For over a quarter of a century, my father and I, Pere and Fields, so obvious, I'm assuming it is maybe their last name and their names. I don't know. Yeah, have dedicated ourselves to rose. We know that the ethereal balance between delicate wild raspberry, white peach, herbs de province, and acidity would eventually win people over. The cool nights and gentle ripening of our grapes in the hills surrounding Ox in province provi- provides the ultimate growing conditions for making the kind of balance and complexity we love. That was Charles Byler. So yeah, it's Byler, Pear, and Fields. So it's okay. their last name. And then the father and son's names or nicknames. Okay. It's clearly his name is Charles, but he says he goes by Fields, F-I-L-S. Okay. So yeah, it's a 2019 Rosé, product of France, if you couldn't tell. What? <laughs> you actually tackled those pronunciations with uh, a level of confidence I appreciated. Good. All right. Um, Cheers to the end of the week, because this week was shit. Woo! It's good. Yeah. It must have been the glue or something. Like, it's not the best rosé we've had, but it's definitely not the worst rosé we've had. So, okay. It's a middle-of-the-road rosé. It's it's very mellow. It doesn't have a burn to it, which I like, Um, but as far as the taste goes, it's very muted, I'll say. Yeah. it Like, there's no... Str- like. It just tastes like wine. Like a lot of the wines are like, oh, you can you can taste a note of this, you know, the leather, or, or you <laughs> and know, the like tobacco. there's a slight vanilla, or it has more floral notes. Like, whereas it's just like, it kind of tastes like watered down communion wine, but like not in a bad way. You like know, it's just a subtle communion wine. You know what this makes me think of? So fans of Arrested Development know Anne, also known as Egg, and yeah. how she's bland and makes no impression. Yeah, this is like this the Anne of wines. <laughs> It's just so funny because the actress, um, I'm blanking on her name, M.W. are her initials, 
but I love her. I I love the absolute shit out of her. She's in the show called Good Girls, where it's a bunch of yeah. like women getting together and robbing banks and things spiral out of control. That's funny. Even further from there, Maya Whitman, or no, May Whitman. I'm yes, sorry, it's May Whitman. Uh, so she's excellent. And she's excellent as Anne, but Anne as a character, yeah. Bland, leaves no impression, and that's kind of how I feel about this wine. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad. No, like, if you're just kind of looking for a mild rosé, this is... But you guys know our taste in wines. We like the really sweet stuff, and I personally love the cab sauves that just make me feel all sultry and sexy, like I yeah, need to be laid I'm... on a bearskin rug See, for me, it's not Netflix. even just, like, cab sauves. It's, it's reds and, like... Those like deeper, more flavorful reds. Yeah, like it's not just it tends to be cab sobs, but there have been a few other like red blends and stuff that have gotten me there. Because this is so smooth, though, I can see it being very dangerous. Because I could totally. Chuck this is this much right less now. of like yeah, I was gonna say it's much less of a sipping wine than yeah. it is just like you could just walk around with a bottle taking chug like, chug chug chug. <laughs> All right. Well, Kelly and I actually have a very special episode. Yay. For you uh, to get you through through the quarantine blues and also the post election chaos because we're some people blues. by the time this episode comes for some out people not blues we're going to be smack dab in the middle of post election and pre Biden taking office yes so we have a very special episode where Kelly and I teamed up to cover two very influential. Very influential. Influential? I don't know. Shit. Okay. I mean, this wine. I wouldn't call them wenches. This but, wine you know. is mad because I called it bland. And it's like, bitch, I am hijacking your you. mouth. You're not going to be able to it is see straight. 13% by volume. Fuck. What are our wines normally like? Six? Uh, I think wines are normally like eight. Damn, wine. Let's see how Google. Damn, France. <laughs> So uh, Kelly and I are covering sisters Victoria Woodhull and Tennessee Claffin. And I guess normal American guidelines usually is about 12%. Okay. I feel like our wines are five ounces. 12% 12 for five ounces. Kelly's doing math. No, I'm not. I'm not doing math. I was just repeating myself. But we are covering sisters Victoria Woodhull and Tennessee Claffin. Uh, and if Victoria Woodhull rings a bell, that is because she is the first woman to have run for the president of the United States. Yay. Uh, but she did so much more than that. I knew her name. I knew that one fact about her. I knew she was a suffragette. I'm like, oh, cool. And then I got into her story and like two sentences in, I'm like, what in the yeah. actual fuck? And Tennessee, as her sister, also had an equally insane life. And we'll try to not overlap. We'll do our best. Yes. Uh, so I'm starting us off with Victoria Woodhull. And because the my story <laughs> because my story's so long, I've broken it up into uh, chapters, basically, with funny uh, headings. English major in you. So my first one says, in the beginning, there was a child. <laughs> And God said, let there be Victoria. Right. So Victoria California Claffin was born. I love their names. So spoiler, all of this, all of the children have geographic locations in their names, whether it's their first name or middle name. Like one of the siblings was Odessa. All, but all of the kids, all I the Claffin children that. have like a state or a city or some kind of location in their names, which is Hilarious. I didn't dive that deep. 
I actually, I'm sorry, before I begin, I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, so the Queen's podcast, which is an excellent comedy history podcast hosted by two longtime best friends, Katie and that sound, Nathan. That sounds oddly familiar, except one of them is clearly a male. Yes. <laughs> But uh, they talk about queens from history. They've covered Elizabeth Bathory, uh, sorry, Bowtery, Jane Seymour, Eleanor of Aquintine, which I'm saying super wrong. And they are do- they did a three part series on Victoria Woodhull. The third part literally mm. just came out yesterday. I haven't listened to it yet, but they were a really great source for me for this episode. If you do want to come on our show or vice versa, let us know. Here's the funny thing. I You probably don't even know who we are. I've heard of them and I'm like, I thought we followed them on Instagram. I thought we've talked, but I looked them up on Instagram. I'm like, oh my God, how are we not following them yet? I love them Please so tell me much. You followed them, I though. did, okay. of course. I corrected that very quickly. So obviously I'm not going to get into as much depth as they were able to in three separate episodes when I'm taking half of a, you know, hour, hour and a half. But seriously, check them out. They were a great I mean, resource. if you guys want us to do like three hour episodes, let us know. I don't think anyone we wants We probably that. won't. <laughs> I mean, we'd be pretty fucking sloppy by the end of it. I probably uh, she died. We're doing two and episodes. I'm, I'm only going to pour <laughs> a little bit more. So you can find Queen's podcast on anywhere uh, you find us. Well, anywhere you listen to us or also queenshistorypodcast.com. They have a really lovely site. So we need to update our website. <laughs> <laughs> put hey. it put it on the to-do list. You know, we're going into another lockdown where I'm only allowed to see my husband and my dogs. I'm going to have a lot of time on my Well, no, I won't. I have a lot of homework to do. I was going to say. I have a lot of time on my hands after homework. <laughs> I have a 10-page and an 8-page paper to write, but I'll get it done. Oh, my God. Kelly, did you pregame for this episode? You are like No, but it. I already like drank my I told you it's dangerous. It's it like is. water. Okay. It's, it's growing on me. I was going to be like, you know, before we were like, it's kind of bland. I'm like, you know, it's kind of good, though. It's kind of growing on me, too. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. And, you know... Wine hits me a little bit harder than normal, so. This is true. So I'm just like, we. <laughs> no, I'm not that bad. I yet. almost wish we were recording this because Kelly is fucking turnt already. Turnt. We are, what, 10 minutes in? And be, be excited for our next video episode, even though our next video episode, not the next video episode that, no, this is the one after. So yes, the next video episode. Yes. Because I got us Christmas shirts, guys. <gasps> Shut the fuck up. You did? Yeah, they're coming on Tuesday. Oh, I'm excited. Is that I'm... why you asked me yeah. about the shirt? <laughs> I hope size? I get the right color. What color do you want? I also got black. It's, or no, I got I got a gray. Nice. It'll okay. Be, you'll be... It's... They're cute. Okay. Pre-warned. They're cute. Victoria, California, Claffin. Was born as the seventh of ten children in Homer, Ohio, in Licking County. I'm going to say, like, one thing. I also read from some sources that there were 10 children. So, like, in my notes, it says 10 children. Seven? I don't know. No, she was the seventh of 10 children. Yeah. But in my notes, it also said that there was possibly only seven children total. Which is bonkers because Tennessee is younger than her. And if Victoria is the seventh, like. Yep. So some people said that only, only Tennessee s- was the seventh. Only, like, and six there was of them only survived seven. to childhood, though. So maybe that's why. Yeah. I love, okay, so we're already off to this amazing start because they are born in Homer, Ohio in Licking County. I'm already, I'm like, what the fuck? 
So Victoria's parents were wild. Her mother, Madame Roxana Roxy Hummelclaffen, was an illiterate child of unmarried parents, who cares, not a big deal, who was a follower of Austrian mystic Franz Mesmer, bigger deal, and part bigger of the deal. spiritualist movement. Like, dude, if your parents aren't married, none of that shit matters. If you're illiterate, you know, that doesn't matter. No. Uh... This Franz she, she gets dude crazier. Matters, apparently. I definitely imagine her as this like hippy dippy mom who believes in vaginal crystals. Like I think she might have been kind of into Gwyneth Paltrow, which should say a lot of negative things about her character. Since Victoria was the seventh child, allegedly apparently, and seven is a divine number, Madame Roxy told Victoria from an early age that she was a special child with divine abilities. This would be reflected throughout Victoria's life as she would claim that she had visions or premonitions and like things that she pursued in life. She said, well, I had a vision, so I did this. Or, well, I lived here because the spirits told me. It's very interesting having researched her sister to hear this because, you know, obviously the stories differ depending on who you're researching. Yep. So Victoria's father, Reuben Book, Bookman Claffin, Esquire, which... I, she I made up the Esquire part. Okay. Here's the thing. If anyone ever added Esquire after their name, though, it would be this guy. Well, because Esquire means you were a lawyer or you were a squire, like back in medieval times. But if you That's have Esquire true. at the end of the, your name, that means you were, you're a lawyer. I did not know that. Um, He was also a con man. But, so I don't know if he, he was really he, a lawyer. Yeah. My notes say he presented himself as a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, He was also a snake oil salesman, so he's not the most trustworthy dude. In my original notes, I said, probs not an Esquire. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, Quick trigger warning for child abuse. If this is too much, skip ahead maybe 30 seconds. We're not... Mm, yeah 30 seconds we're not going to get too into it it's also alleged that victoria's father whipped her starved her and sexually abused her biographers seem to debate this as one biographer said that victoria's father made her a woman early in life but this could also be interpreted as victoria had to grow up early when she started working to bring in money for the super poor family apparently buck would withhold food from his children to motivate Uh, them as they worked from a young age to bring in money for the family So, like, sexual abuse or not, this is an abusive situation, and these are abused children. Victoria took after her mother's spiritualism as it made her feel hopeful that there was something better after death because her life was so shitty. She worked as a clairvoyant and fortune teller alongside her father's snake oil shows, helping to earn money for the growing impoverished family. Victoria claimed she was guided and protected by spirits, and they would sometimes take her to a heaven-like world. I'm like, is that just a delusion from not eating, though? (laughs) Like, are you having starvation visions? Right. I don't think Victoria saw this as like conning people, at least when she was a kid, because her mother really reinforced that seances, spirits and visions were real and that Victoria was special in having these abilities. So like if you're growing up in this environment where the adults are reinforcing that, yes, these things are real. You're seeing these. This is all totally legit. Like, how else are you supposed to believe? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Who's to say, though, when she got older, like... How, you know, if it was like she really believed her, she was starting to catch on. It's up for debate. 
It's worth noting, though, Buck taught his children the ways of the con man and how to read people. He would even scout out obituaries in towns where they traveled and prep his children with this information. Like, if you see some crying widow all dressed in black, uh, yeah, her husband just died. So, like, maybe go talk to her about that. So it's kind of like up in the air, like, okay, how much of how much did she know about what was going on? One of Victoria's siblings of the six who survived to adulthood was her sister, Tennessee Celeste Claffin, also known as Tenny C. I know, I love Which that. just made me so happy. Though Tenny was seven years younger than Victoria, the two were very close and would remain that way through adulthood. And you're going to hear more about that in both mine and Kelly's story. And yeah. Tenny is a bamf. Yeah, she is. Because she was so busy working by the time Victoria was 11 years old, she had only three years total of formal education. And those were not consecutive. So it's like, you get to do first grade. Okay, now you get to do, like, kindergarten. Like, now you get to go to fourth grade or whatever. Like, right. <laughs> Despite this, her teachers thought she was incredibly intelligent. Unfortunately, Victoria was unable to continue her education because her father, Buck, decided to commit just, insurance I fraud. I just love how you say their dad's name. He's an asshole. This I is know. no shade against the name Buck, but he is an asshole Buck. and I'm going to I'm going to make fun of him. It also reminds me of the the dog from um Married with Children. Oh yeah. And I'm like he is a dog, so there we go. So he committed insurance fraud by setting their grits mill on fire, which is like a grain milk kind of thing. When the arson was discovered, vigilantes ran him out of town. (laughs) There was some compassion shown to the family, who were essentially collateral of Buck's bullshit. The town held a benefit to raise money to help the family get the fuck out of Ohio. They're like... They're like, we feel bad for you because your dad slash husband is an asshole, so we're going to help you get out. But you need to get get out. out. (laughs) You gotta go. Regardless of whether or not uh, he was abusive, Victoria's father was a fucking dick. Yeah. My next section is called Can Canning. (laughs) Kids... Kids grew up quickly in the 1800s, and Victoria was no exception. When she was only 14 years old, she met Canning, sometimes called Channing, but I don't want to disgrace Channing Tatum like that, so his name is Canning. God damn. So Canning Woodhull, a 28-year-old doctor from New York. Canning claimed he was the nephew of the mayor of New York, though he was only a distant cousin, and this dude, like, didn't know who he was. (laughs) That's one of those times when people are like, I know the owner of this restaurant. And they're like, really? Point him out. Right. And then they point to someone random and they're like, actually, I'm the owner. The owner's a woman. (laughs) You sexy You bitch. (laughs) So they had one hell of a meet cute when Canning was in Ohio and treated Victoria for a chronic illness. In Licking, Ohio? In Licking County. In, in, what was it, Homer? Well, no, they, they got yeah, run Homer, out of Ohio. I, I, I thought Licking they had County. left Homer by now. I the timeline is a little fuzzy, so I'm just I'm just going for it. But he's so they they may still be in Licking County, but they're not in Homer anymore. Okay. Probs, probs. So, um, so Canning's in Ohio, and he's treating Victoria for a chronic illness, which was probably related to the starvation she was suffer- suffering, both at the hands of her father and just from pro- poverty in general. Yep. It was very easy for the New Yorker to practice in Ohio as the state didn't require any licensing or education for someone to call themselves a doctor. 
So everyone, I would like to take this time to announce uh, I'm officially a doctor because I said so. Actually, sorry, I need to move to Ohio first yeah. and then declare that. Then I can be a you doctor. You go to Ohio and, you know, back like 100 years. <laughs> and be a man because I'm pretty sure women Probably. can just be like, I'm a doctor. <laughs> Let's be honest. Probs. So if this story couldn't get any creepier, some accounts say that Canning actually kidnapped Victoria in order to marry her. It is also said that she married him to escape her hellish family, which also I like mean, makes we've perfect heard that before. sense. Yeah. After all, Canning was a doctor with connections to the mayor of New York and apparently flush with cash. All of these things were either embellishments or straight up lies, as Victoria would tragically find out. However the marriage came about, through escapism or kidnapping, they were married on November 23rd, 1853, which as of the time we're recording this is in like three days. It, also, it was actually the day before Thanksgiving in 1853. Yeah. She would not be thankful that she married. Well, maybe right away she would be. I, it turns so quick. So now if you're horrified at the prospect of a 14-year-old being married to a 28-year-old, don't worry. By the time they were married, Victoria was two months into her 15th year. It's insane. <laughs> I don't think that makes sense. <laughs> it's insane. And like, here's I the mean, thing. back then, I guess it's that's not super as gross. But back then, it was common. Yeah, it was not uncommon for a 15-year-old to get married to a much older man. So to the surprise of absolutely no one listening, the marriage wasn't a happy one. The self-proclaimed doctor and maybe kidnapper who claimed to be the mayor's nephew was also an abusive, alcoholic fuckboy who was deeply in debt. I love that. Term. And that's fuckboy with a B-O-I. That's how shitty he is. Yeah. In fact, on the day they were married, one of Canning's mistresses gave birth to his child. Wow. The day and before he wasn't even there. No, he was off marrying a teenager. They had two children, one of whom had severe developmental disabilities, uh, which Victoria blamed on her husband's drinking. So stories differ because it's possible that Canning botched the delivery or even dropped the baby. The, the fact that he even delivered the baby is well, terrifying. Well, he's a doctor, Kelly. I know, but still. The baby may have also fallen out of a window, <sighs> which may have also been Canning's fault. Her second child what was- are you talking about? The baby clearly tripped. Okay, that baby clearly yeeted themselves out of the window. If he was my dad. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Sorry. Dark humor. Don't jump out windows. <laughs> um, so her second child was also delivered by Canning, who botched the procedure so badly. For a second I thought you were gonna say Cannon, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's not what they mean when they say baby cannon, you guys. <laughs> the baby's not supposed to literally shoot out of your body. Anyways. Thoughts? Can you imagine doctors like there with the catcher mitt and just being like, da 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 I feel like what you're about to say is going to be super sad and we're making jokes. Okay, okay it's, it's fine, though, because we're making jokes before it gets sad. Okay. We're not making jokes in the aftermath. So, serious face. Canning botched the procedure so badly uh, that the baby almost bled to death. Oh, almost. almost. Okay, good. It was it was something about cutting the umbilical cord wrong, which wrong. I'm like, yeah, that's I didn't know you could do that. I thought you just like, yeah, I'm take actually it and like, snip. They let dads do exactly. it exactly, <laughs> so he must have cut it like too close to the baby or like you know. Yeah, there was either way. He almost like killed his, killed own, child. his own child and. 
may have contributed to the severe disability of the other. All right, this next section is called the warts. Now, we're all about recognizing the achievements of the women we cover, but we're not going to shy away from their failings. Victoria was a proponent for eugenics. And sadly, this was probably inspired by a combination of her husband's alcoholism and her child's disability. Uh, for those who have blissfully missed the horrific historical footnote, eugenics, eugenics is, is is the belief in selective human breeding with the goal of passing on positive traits to the next generation. It was an ideology that was steeped in racism, classism, ableism, and all sorts of terrible isms. It was also extremely popular in the ni- in the 20th century, but took a sharp decline when the Nazis adopted eugenics to try and justify their mass genocide of Jews, homosexuals, Romani people, and those those with disabilities and like whoever the hell they wanted like you're inferior you shouldn't breed there was also like forced sterilization there was it was no you i don't have to tell you guys what the nazis did was bad okay you all know that much we were actually talking about this with hashtag history when we recorded the radium girls episode it didn't make it into the episode but uh i think it was rachel was talking about how like oh yeah the nazis got ideas from, from us, us in yeah. the United States when it came to eugenics. They were like, hey, look at what the United States is doing. I'm into this whole like selective breeding for sterilization and murder thing. It's great. So Victoria was also not a fan of abortion, stating, quote, every woman knows that if she were free, she would never bear an unwished for child, nor think of murdering one before its birth. Uh, it's seen- That's kind of weird to be a proponent of eugenics and not be OK with abortion. I think it. W- yeah, it was. Um, she took. Uh, I don't want to say nuance because I feel like I'm giving her more credit than maybe she's due. But she didn't take like a. I. Hold on. Let me let me get through my notes. Eugenics stance. I, I actually have this in my okay. notes. So it seemed like Victoria felt that if women were able to have autonomy when it came to sex, the need for abortions would decrease, which I think that's a fair statement. She also advocated for sexual education and prenatal care to decrease the chances of a child being born with a disability. Okay. So basically her husband was an alcoholic. And so she's like, well, if women get to choose to not have sex with alcoholics or, you know, shitty people, that's going to decrease unwant, you know. Yeah. I I don't want to, like, verbalize the logic because I feel like I'm a proponent for it. I'm super not. But you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But also, like, giving babies the best chance with prenatal care here's the thing though that still adds up to mm, disabled kids aren't worth anything which is absolutely not true also a woman should never have to have a child that they don't want but that's why we have birth control now and that's why that needs to be widely available that's why we need sex ed and yeah we do need access to abortion because it is health care there's a lot of things there but there are things you can do before it even comes to making that choice of whether to abort a pregnancy to prevent like getting to that point, you know? So honestly, if I saw fewer people protesting outside of Planned Parenthood and more people advocating for comprehensive sexual education and accessible birth control as a way to decrease abortions, I'd be much happier. The world would be a better place. While still having access to them. But fewer people are going to need them. And isn't that what we kind of all want? So Victoria had these really toxic views uh, when it came to eugenics. 
And that did real harm. I get into that a little more later, but I don't want to like get through this being like rah rah Victoria without acknowledging like right. this truly horrible belief she had. All right, next section. Marriage is what brings us together today. That's a Princess Bride reference. Yeah. I'm not making fun of speech impediments. I just got done talking about how like people with disabilities or all that stuff are totally valid and we shouldn't hate on them. So yeah. Victoria worked to help support her family, but the constraints of 19th century marriage proved to be tiresome. Constraints including, get ready for a bitchin' bullet list, Civil death, where you lose your civil rights, but are still subjected to taxation, the government's rule. Marital rape, more commonly known as rape. Being unable to own property or your own money. And few options to escape, as even if you were able to divorce your husband, you were a pariah. Like, you were a damaged woman. And it was your fault that the marriage didn't work out. It's not that, well, I didn't want to be married because he beat me. Well, why did he beat you? You didn't make him happy enough? Right. It was this and more that contributed to Victoria's support of free love. And I know we've talked about free love before, but just as a refresher, free love isn't like what we kind of think of it today um, no. as like have sex with whoever and like multiple parties. Like more like... Like, like the hippie dippy thing of the 70s. Of free love. So free love was all about consenting adults having a say in their sexual relationships. And it was also that the government couldn't tell you who you had to have sex with. Because when you're married, you are your husband's property and he can do, he can have sex with you or rape you. Whether whatever you want. Yeah. Whether married or not, having consensual sex was okay for men and women, and there shouldn't be a stigma associated with women's sexuality, because men were totally fine to have their extramarital dalliances, but God, if a woman shows too much ankle, she's a fucking slut. Though she believed in monogamous relationships, she was opposed to the restrictions with marriage, which marriage put on women and felt that women should be able to leave an unhappy marriage. She also felt that women should have a say when it came to sex. This all sounds so duh, but it wasn't at the time. And that's horrifying. She said, quote, to women or sorry, to woman by nature belongs the right of sexual determination. When the instinct is aroused in her, then and then only should commerce follow. This gets to be a really sexy quote. When woman rises from sexual slavery to sexual freedom in the ownership and control of her sexual organs and man is obliged to respect respect this freedom, then will this instinct become pure and holy. Then will woman be raised from the iniquity and morbidness in which she now wallows for existence and the intensity and glory of her creative functions be increased a hundredfold. So sex, wow. consensual sex is hotter than, you know, I'm trapped in an unhappy marriage and forced to have sex or be raped by my partner. Right. Jeez. <laughs> she also called out the hypocrisy that men weren't admonished for having mistresses or being sexual deviants. God, I, I got ahead of my notes. I say here, but God forbid a woman show her ankle or act too flirty. Luckily for Victoria, she was able to secure a divorce after Canning had basically deserted the family, only dropping in for handouts. Although the legality of her divorce was suspect. Like, no one knows if she, like, for reals, reals divorced him. But also the legality of a lot of things back then was kind of suspect. Right. So who knows? He wasn't even really a doctor. 
And her dad was probably not even really a lawyer, but they got to call themselves that. She did remarry a man, Colonel James Harvey Blood, who served in the Union Army during the American Civil War. So, like, I know changing your name is a bitch, but I would 100% change my last name to Blood. Like, Victoria Blood was definitely someone's edgy AIM screen name or online alter ego in the 2000s. Like, don't you just hear it? Or like a discarded Tim Burton character, like Victoria Blood with pale skin and dark ebony hair. (laughs) Right. I think it would be like, it's the perfect name. And sunken eyes. (laughs) Jeez. And then with Johnny Depp. (laughs) That's all. That's the movie. Victorian lady named Victoria Blood and Johnny Depp. And they do something. And it's all really dark and gray. So they had an amazing meet cute. By this time, Victoria was working as a clairvoyant again and had built up quite the reputation. It also helped that she was there was a surge in the spiritualism movement in the wake of the bloody American Civil War, which had left nary a soul untouched. Colonel Blood had heard of Victoria and decided to see what all the fuss was about. She told him that the spirits had foretold their meeting and that Victoria and the colonel were destined to be married. so she he meets this chick for the first time he's like i want to see what all this is about and she's like the spirits are telling me our meeting was destined and we are destined to be married and we should definitely do this and apparently colonel blood was cool with this he he actually proved to be a pretty devoted and loving husband who was super down with all of victoria's extraness yeah because if she is she's nothing if not extra yeah for better or for worse Because there just has to be drama. When Victoria and Colonel Blood met, they were both still married, but then divorced. Because of what we know about the stigma of female divorcees, I really hope ex-Mrs. Blood, like, turned out okay and that she found a very happy life. So before she divorced Canning, the pair had moved to New York, where the rest of Victoria's family had settled at the time. Here she was reunited with her favorite sister, Tennessee! That's interesting. My story tells a slightly different narrative. Is it that they're in Chicago? Yeah. Okay. I had that they were in New York. I also heard that they were in Chicago. But again, like Victoria really worked at myth building around herself. So it's kind of all well, over the place. And for mine, it's that Tennessee and, and their whole family moved to live with Victoria after they got run out of town. Okay. Guys, history's all made up anyway. Give us a break. So Tenny had also taken after their mother's spiritualist beliefs and the sisters worked as mediums. Apparently, so I I found that apparently their reunion occurred because Victoria had a vision that Tenny needed her. Aww. Which, that's that's cute. Uh, The spiritualist sisters began traveling around the country looking for new clients and looking to get away from lawsuits. So they go to a town, do some spiritualist shit, and then get out before the lawsuits came. In one extreme instance, Tenny was actually charged with manslaughter. So I'm going to leave it at that because I think Kelly will get into it. So this next section, get that money, honey. But then their fortunes changed when they became connected with Cornelius Vanderbilt. Cornelius had basically Vanderbilt all of the railroads across the United States. Kelly is fucking done with me. <laughs> she is so I was just like, what? Uh, well, because every time I hear Vanderbilt, who built the railroads, I'm like, 
Guys, it's right there. Say he Vanderbilt the railroads. No. <sighs> See, mine never mentioned that he built the railroads. Yeah, he's the railroad guy. Yeah, no, mine says he's super he... rich. That's how he made. His I money. know that he's super rich. <laughs> um, but mine has that he was like the. Well, okay, hold on. I gotta scroll down. Maybe it was his dad that built the um, railroads. Yeah, because he. Oh, back up. Too far. Um, this is the only tough part when Kelly and I cover similar um, materials because she corrects me when I'm, I'm wrong. <laughs> I have to find it. I'm gonna Google who built who Vanderbilt the railroads. Oh, did Google listen to me? But they heard who built the moon, and now he's gonna play music. <laughs> hey, Google, who Vanderbilt the railroads? Oh shit! <laughs> oh my god! Okay, if you can't hear hey, it, Google. if you couldn't hear it, I asked Google who Vanderbilt the railroads, and it was Cornelius Vanderbilt, according to History.com. And then in my like whooping celebration, I yanked a ton of cords yep, around and job. almost destroyed our recording. See, so. mine said that he was like the owner of some like company. But it was like a, well, dra- I'm sure a drapery company. He did a lot. He diversified his portfolio. Well, who knows? Maybe his dad was also named Cornelius. He's Cornelius Jr. Anyway, regardless, the Vanderbilt name is still synonymous with extreme wealth. And by today's standards, yeah. he was a billionaire with a b b b. Yeah. Just a completely unfathomable amount of wealth. Apparently, he was also into spiritualism because he admired Victoria and Tenny's abilities as mediums, and the sisters became close to him. Tenny, closer than Victoria. And I'm going to leave Kelly to that. <laughs> but it, I feel uh, like you're like, I'm going to leave Kelly to all these things. And I'm like, I don't go into that much detail. Well, do you just want me to read what no, I have? No, it's okay. Fine. I will leave it to Stop Kelly. Stealing my stuff. And then I will pages. interject if I feel the need. I'll ask Google. <laughs> So because of this relationship, Vanderbilt would share stock advice with Victoria, not insider trading style, but just more like fa- financial advisor yeah. style, because he's like, oh, I heard this company or like, oh, you should invest in this or you should sell from this and that kind of thing. That's not the only place they got their financial advice from. They got it from the spirits. <gasps> oh, I do not have that in my notes. Yeah. That's Good what they, That's what they said sometimes. Yes. Well, and, and that is just such a theme throughout Victoria's life. Like this, there, yeah. even like her apartment in New York or something. She's like, the spirits told, gave me this address. It's like, bitch, really? Are you sure? So because, uh, so Victoria would take this advice to her husband, Colonel Blood, who would follow through on it. And the Colonel's participation was, in this was critical as when Victoria tried to invest, she was told she wasn't allowed due to her gender. Her completely clothed body was so distracting. Don't you know that's how the stock market crash of 1929 happened? It's called Black Friday. Because she was wearing a black dress. Right. After a while, Victoria had built up a little nest egg. In 1870, Victoria took this money and teamed up with her favorite sister, Tenny. I, okay, pause. I love that name because so my friend Tierney, who I've talked about on the podcast, yep. she worked, she used to be a toddler teacher and because children who are, you know, two and younger can't say tyranny. So they say tenny? No, they say tinny. Aww. So tinny, tenny. It that's, just. That's cute. Yeah. So sometimes I'll go to her and be like, hi, Miss Tinny. 
<laughs> That's cute. So uh, her and Tenny became the first female stockbrokers and opened up their own brokerage firm on Wall Street. The New York Sun recorded the collective astonishment with their headline, Petticoats Among the Bovine and Ursine Animals. <laughs> like, what? Jesus Christ. It's among the pigs and bears. Oh, I didn't. Oh, yeah. Ursine, that's they, that's, Ursa. That's what they call stockbrokers. I, I thought bovine was like cows because they got the bull. Oh, yeah, bovine. Sorry. It's the bears and the bulls. Bulls and the bears. Nice. My My head... For some reason, was just thinking pigs. I don't it's know the why. bears, the bulls, and now a little girl who's staring down the bull on Wall Street, looking just in amazing. a petticoat. No, I think she's just in a little dress. Well, it said there was a petticoat. Oh no, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about the statue. Oh really? Yeah. Um. So a couple of years ago, on like International Day of the Girl, they did a temporary art installation. So facing up to the raging Wall Street bull statue yeah. is a little girl, like with a ponytail and a little dress, who's, you know, just standing like a Kimbo staring down the bull. And it became so popular You're right. that no, they I think kept I have it. seen it, yeah. The artist but of I was the bull talking, statue was pissed. <laughs> I was talking about, because they said yes. petticoat. You are absolutely right. So now I'm willing to admit my own ignorance. For me, a stockbroker is the same in, in the same vague realm as hedge fund manager. I know they're businessy big shots, and that's about it. So I looked it up. First of all, I want everyone to know that the first paragraph on the stockbroker wiki page is literally a list of different names for stockbroker. So my confusion is not completely unfounded. So basically, a stockbroker provides investment advice and manages a client's investments in the stock market. So basically, they're financial witches. Now, it wasn't just that Victoria had the money to bankroll this venture. She also had the intelligence and intuition and apparently the aid of the spirits. (laughs) Vanderbilt, who had once advised Victoria, now became a client. Hmm. In one instance, Victoria advised Vanderbilt to short sell his stock shares for 150 cents per stock. So this is basically when you're anticipating a shock, a shock, a stock is going to drop in price. So you sell before it drops yep. too low. Then when it's low enough, you buy it back and, and the difference is your profit. God, it raises again. Yeah. So the mo- well, you've already made money off of selling the stock, and then you recoup your losses by buying it. So the money you made when the stock, the stock was makes higher, no sense to me. That that kind of made sense to me because it's like I, you're getting yeah, I get you're getting more of a profit, but then you could theoretically do it again if the prices raise again. It, yeah, exactly. That's so what you I was basically so you like recycled your resources. Yeah. You're like buying and selling your own shit. I don't know. Regardless of how this works or our understanding of it, this move earned Vanderbilt millions. The sister duo were so successful, the New York Herald dubbed them the queens of finance and the bewitching brokers. See, they are financial witches. Even the New York Herald knows it. My next section is called Extra Extra. Because the dynamic duo is always hustling, on May 14th, 1870, Victoria and Tenney used their brokerage bucks to start their own newspaper called Woodhull and Claffin's Weekly. This made them the first women to start a weekly newspaper. The paper published stories about, and get ready for a bitch and bullet list, feminism, labor reform, free love, sexual education, women's suffrage, spiritualism, vegetarianism, and short skirts. I like short skirts and I cannot lie. Cool air on my inner thighs. When you hit the street in that hot concrete and you feel that nice cool breeze, you go, ah. I love you. 
<laughs> it took me 10 minutes to write. I don't doubt that. <laughs> I just love that, like, that was such a scandalous thing where it's like, we're yeah. going to write about short I mean, skirts, it's like y'all. Pants. And apparently Victoria, like, hemmed her skirts so they were two inches shorter than everyone else's. So, like, maybe you could see her ankles. But, like, That's nothing funny. we would ever think no. of as scandalous. Nothing we'd probably even think of as short. Yeah. Like, oh, are you Amish? Are you, like, doing a thing? Right. <laughs> At its height, the newspaper had a national circulation of 20,000. But the newspaper wasn't just for Victoria to espouse her radical ideals. It also supported what Victoria is best known for, her presidential campaign. Yes, Victoria Woodhull was the first woman to run for president of the United States. And my next section is entitled... Dun, 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 I literally wrote out all the dimes. I realized that. <laughs> so Victoria announced her candidacy on April 2nd, 1870, in a letter to the New York Herald, the same newspaper that called her, a, like, a bank witch. Uh, <laughs> that actually sounds delicious. She was nominated by the Equal Rights Party just a month later. So she did secure a party nomination. And I know Kelly talked about Shirley Chisholm Mm -hmm. in a past episode, who was the first black woman to run for president. But she was unable to gain a party nomination. So I think she was trying to get on the Democratic ticket and she didn't get elected in the primaries. Yeah. Bummer, because I think she would have done a really good job. So... Let's play a game. Any guesses as to who her VP would be? It's not Tenny. No, oh, I already know. I read. I read it. So I know. I, like, I, I can't say anything. I'm just. I'm just saying, like for our listeners, it's not Tenny. Although that would have been hilarious. It would have. Her running mate was famous abolitionist Frederick Douglass. However, it seems he wasn't consulted on this as he never acknowledged his nomination or participated in the campaign. So Victoria's literally like... 100% back to Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. So Victoria's like, Frederick Douglass is going to be my VP. And Frederick is like, bitch, who are you? (laughs) The political pairing of a white woman and a black man did not go unnoticed by the public who collectively flipped their shit, even though Frederick Douglass was like, I'm not a part of this at all. They feared the mixing of races and worried it would promote mixed race couplings and babies. Oh, my. The Equal Rights Party had hoped this would unite the women's suffrage movement with the black civil rights movement. So, like, whenever I think of women's suffrage and black civil rights of this time, I think they go hand in hand because it's two disenfranchised groups fighting for equal rights. However, when the 15th Amendment granted black people the right to vote, suffragettes were pissed because it didn't include women. That wouldn't come until, like, four amendments later. And this caused a rift between the two clauses. Again, this is why intersectional civil rights is important. Victoria was also vilified due to her progressive ideas, which included free love. Uh, One political cartoon, which has aged like hot shit, depicts... Have you seen it? Is it the one where... She looks like the devil? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I've seen a few of them. So I I don't have to show you then, but uh, for our listeners, it depicts a burdened woman literally carrying her children and drunken husband, bottle in hand. The woman is looking at Victoria, who is depicted as Mrs. Satan, yep. complete with bat wings and horns. She's holding a paper that, sa- that says, be freed by free love. 
To which the burdened woman says, I'd rather travel the hardest path of matrimony than follow your footsteps. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is garbage. Yeah, like, is. looking back at it now, it's like, oh, honey. Right. I literally have in my notes, oh, honey. <laughs> So the whole free love controversy came to a head just days before the election. Preacher Henry Ward Beecher, brother of abolitionist Henry Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. So that's why that name might sound familiar. Yep. Uh, he spoke out against Victoria's free love advocacy and called her out in his sermons. Well, one of Henry's female parishioners told Elizabeth Cady Stanton, or Caddy, I can't remember what we decided Caddy. it was. Caddy. Elizabeth Caddy Stanton, famous feminist who held the first feminist conference in the U.S. If you want to hear more about her, you can check out our bonus Patreon episode, Hursary Happenings. Pluggy, plug, plug, Number plug, one, plug. for as little as $1 a month, you can join our Patreon. Go check that shit out. So, the female parishioner, I think her name was like Eliza, tells Elizabeth that uh, the preacher is cheating on his wife with her. She's like, I'm fucking the preacher. Elizabeth was friends with Victoria, and because she's a ride-or-die bitch, she disclosed the titillating news. Ride-or-die bitch. <laughs> like, like, this just sounds so drama. She's like, Elizabeth, you won't believe I'm I fucking the, the preacher. Though. And Elizabeth is like, oh, damn, I got to tell Victoria she's going to be livid. And livid she was. She was livid that someone who was condemning sexual autonomy was freely indulging in it. And, right. like, not suffering any consequences because he's a man. Victoria exposed the preacher in her newspaper, and he was actually tried for adultery based on the accusation. So, like, Eliza's husband accused him, was like, you're fucking my wife. Right. And he was charged. His sensational trial ended in a hung jury. While the preacher had escaped retribution, Victoria was not so lucky. Victoria, Tenney, and Colonel Blood were all arrested for publishing an obscene newspaper that dared to sell you the U.S. Postal Service with its national distribution. How dare you send the salacious garbage through the U.S. Postal Service? It's a pure oh. institution. Definitely, we don't ship vibrators using the USPIS. Victoria was acquitted, but the incident inspired the first set of Comstock laws. So these are federal laws that criminalize sending certain items through the USPS, including obscenities, which just seems vague. It's probably right. just anything that seems salacious, like her newspaper, abortion medications, contraceptives, sex toys, and then sexy letters or porn. So no porn for you. No porn. Don't worry, it became legal for the USPS to mail birth control in 1972. Yay. Jesus Christ, I can't believe that recently. They were like, you can't mail birth control using a federal, like, fuck off. In the election, Victoria received no electoral votes, but she did receive a minute percentage of the popular, like, some people yeah. did vote for her. It was completely negligible, like 1 though. 1% or something, probably less than. So, like, imagine how third-party yeah. nominees uh, perform today, and that's pretty much it. Uh, the winner of the election, as Kelly said, was Ulysses S. Grant. I didn't say that he won. I just oh. said that Fre Frederick Douglass backed him. Well, Frederick Douglass backed the right horse, or the winning horse, at least. Yeah. Against his own interests as VP. <laughs> so, because she had been arrested, Victoria wasn't even able to cast a vote for herself. <laughs> like... That's what the fuck? This whole story is just it's insane. insane. Yeah. It's so dramatic. 
Victoria was not deterred. She tried to secure nominations in 1884 and 1892, but the Lizzie Borden murders soured people on women. Just kidding, I don't care. Or not, I don't care, I don't know. So while it's largely agreed upon that Victoria was the first woman to run for president, there is some controversy around her status as she was younger than 35 years old, which is like the minimum age you have to be to run for president. Though it seems people in the 19th century didn't give a fuck. Like, she got the nomination. No one was like, well, she's too young. They were just like, meh. 35 is the age you need to be to be president. So she, if she had gotten elected, they would have had to be like, uh, you're one year too young. Yeah. Also, some have argued that as a woman, she wasn't considered a full citizen. And even if she had one, that she would have been excluded from office for not meeting the citizenship requirement. Honestly, like if let's say she had one, they would have only had to cite her gender as a reason not to let her be president. And it would have worked. They didn't need to get into like the anything else, the nitty gritty, like legally shit. My next section is called who run the world? girls run the world. Throughout her life, Victoria was a fierce advocate for women's rights and suffrage. She spoke before the House Judiciary Committee to promote women's suffrage, arguing that women already had the right to vote as it was inherent to their status as U.S. citizens. They just had to use it. And this isn't the first time we've heard this logic, and she was definitely not the first person to use this argument. Uh, There were even instances of women trying to vote, saying that as a U.S. citizen, they were already guaranteed the right to vote under the 14th and 15th Amendments. She stated, quote, women are the equals of men before the law and are equal in all their rights. So it's like your law can say whatever it wants. We are equal as human beings. Yeah. Now, this feels very duh, but apparently some had never thought of it this way. (gasps) Victoria presenting this argument to the committee actually left an impression on some of the members who were like, oh, wow, I never thought about that way. Women are people. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You mean my wife isn't just property? She's a person? Well-known members of the suffrage movement, including Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who I already mentioned, you can hear about her in a Hursary Happenings bonus episode, saw Victoria as a new and vivacious champion of their cause. They even postponed the third annual Women's Rights Convention to attend the hearing at which Victoria spoke. So they're like, we're going to pause this. We're going to go see our girl Victoria just verbally whip some sense into these guys. And then we're going to have our convention and we're all going to get drunk because it was awesome. (laughs) So I couldn't find exactly how Victoria secured her place to speak before the House Judiciary Committee, but she became the first woman to petition petition Congress in person for suffrage and she received widespread press coverage. So this really just like skyrocketed her skyrocketed her into fame along with her being a presidential candidate. That might have been why she got to speak in front of them. But probably she she's basically like kind of a superstar now. Right. All right. Next section. A hop, skip and a jump across the pond. In 1876, Victoria diverse Colonel Blood. Don't know why. Doesn't matter. The following year, Cornelius Vanderbilt died. Now, remember, Victoria and Tenney were very close to Cornelius and Tenney was even maybe his probs lover. <laughs> Sexy finger quotes. Very close. To curtail any claims they might have to his estate, Vanderbilt's oldest son paid the sisters the equivalent of $24,000 to leave the country for a while. So he's basically like, 
get the fuck out and don't contest the will because I ain't got time for that. I need my dad's cash. Right. This was great timing because by now their newspaper had shut down and Victoria was broke. The sisters moved to Great Britain where Victoria began lecturing on women's rights. At one lecture in 1877, she caught the eye of banker John Bilduff Martin. I love that middle name. B-I-D-D-U-L-P-H. Yep. The two started a relationship and married on October 31st, 1883 on Halloween because she's a spooky bitch. The spirits probably told her. a witch. It it was so the spirits could all be her bridesmaids. Right. Because that's when the veil is the thinnest. (laughs) His family wasn't down with the union, but fuck them. Victoria returned to writing and published a magazine called The Humanitarian from 1892 to 1901. She also remained active in in the British suffrage movement while advocating for women's rights and free love. Upon her husband's death in 1901, Victoria retired and moved to Worcestershire, England. She died on June 9th, 1927 at 88 years old. She lived a pretty long life, especially considering the fact that she had like a horrific childhood. Yeah. Legacy. Victoria has received so many honors and recognition. I'm just listing my favorites. Victoria was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 2001. That's one of our favorites. In 1980, a Broadway musical, Onward Victoria, inspired by by her life, premiered. In 2003, the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Alliance was founded. So this organization advocates for human rights and sexual freedom. There's a book called The Scarlet Sisters, Sex Suffrage and Scandal in the Gilded Age by Myra McPherson, which I would love to read. And actually, my boss recommended it to me. And I keep waiting for it to like pop up on Audible. Yeah. But it was published in 2015. So I might actually have to read it. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that book covers... Victoria and Tennessee. So after at the end of this episode, if you really want to know more about them, definitely read this book. In 2017, Amazon Studios announced that they were working on a biopic on Victoria produced by and starring Brie fucking Larson. Nice. Oh, I want to be Brie Larson and I want want to to be be her best friend if I can't be her like I love her so much and so now I'm like who's gonna play Tenny (laughs) while Victoria did many great things we still can't ignore her role in the eugenics movement her notoriety as a presidential candidate and leader in women's suffrage gave her even more power to promote eugenics and policies based in the horrifying ideology in doing this she caused serious harm We also can't ignore the fact that Victoria spent much of her life as a hustler who took advantage of spiritualism to take advantage of desperate people. Victoria has made a huge comeback as a hero in modern feminism, particularly for her status as the first woman to run for president. While we can admire her advocacy for women's rights and sexual autonomy, it would be irresponsible to put her up on a pedestal and erase the harm she did and her dangerous ideas. Especially now when we're taking a harsh look at the sins of historical figures, we cannot leave women unaccountable. So I want to end this quote. End this with a quote from Victoria, and while she herself may have failed to fulfill the spirit of this quote, may we all strive to do better. I come before you to declare that my sex are entitled to the inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that is the story, the dramatic, twisty, bonkers, batshit story of Victoria Woodhull. Right? 
Like I was I, I I was like maybe three paragraphs into my notes. I was like, Jared, you will not fucking believe this shit. <laughs> Pause whatever you're doing. Come listen to me for a while. Uh, I will try to overlap as little as possible. All right. So obviously I'm covering Tennessee Claflin. Yay. Tennessee. Um, so her story starts out even more obscure than Victoria's because nobody's actually sure when she was born. <laughs> It's somewhere between 1843 and 1846. The most agreed upon year is 1845, closely followed by 1846. I feel like... But it's somewhere in there. I feel like we should have bingo cards and one of the squares should be like, no one knows when this person was actually <laughs> no one knows born. birth date. Also, Check. they were scandalized for wearing pants should definitely be one. <laughs> yeah. So, the yeah. free space is gender discrimination. <laughs> What we do know is that she was the daughter of 10, potentially seven, from one source that I saw. Children born to Roxana and Buck, as Emily likes Buck. to call him. <laughs> They're not really sure why Tennessee was named Tennessee. It's either because her parents visited the state or because her father was a fan of the the Tennessee congressman James Polk. One of the two. I love that. No one that. really knows. It was also like their theme. Yeah. Like, we're the geography kids. <laughs> That's terrible. So as Emily said, Buck was a snake oil salesman who often posed as a doctor. He had some legal training. Some of his work experiences also included ferrying timber down the Susquehanna River and working in a saloon. I thought you were saying ferrying Tim Burton down the no, Susquehanna timber, River. Susquehanna I'm like, River. God, what? <laughs> Her mother, Roxana, was identified at various times as the niece of a prosperous saloon owner or the Ill illegitimate daughter of a maid. She did speak with a German accent, so she's actually probably most likely an immigrant of some yes. sort. <laughs> From Germany, probably. And then, as Emily said, she was very, very spiritual. Shoving those geodes up her hoo-ha. <laughs> mm. So, obviously, the children grew up in poverty, as Emily mentioned. Neighbors remember the children as wild, dirty, and hungry. Buck was abusive, as Emily mentioned, so I won't really go into that. Um, once one of their sons, Maiden, actually ran away at the age of 13 and was never heard from again. Oh, dear. He's like, fuck this shit. Hursery headcanon. He turned he's fine. Out no, fine. he's fine. He lived he his life. Definitely didn't get eaten by wolves. <laughs> so at the time, inspired by the success of the Fox sisters, who were famous child mediums actually i don't even know if they were children at the time they yeah they were children when they got started but they worked they were, into like their teenagers like, weren't they early adulthood yeah yeah um so buck was inspired by them and began advertising tennessee and victoria as mediums around 1852 so the girls were teenagers i love their like discount right. or store brand yeah. fox sisters <laughs> um this wasn't surprising as Vic, uh, not Victoria, as Tennessee had started showing signs of having second sight when she was only five or six years old, reading the minds of her playmates. She told a farmer that she could, he could, where he could find his lost calf and predicted a fire at a nearby seminary. Wow. I, okay. So when you're talking about like predicting the moods of her peers, immediately I'm back in preschool and she's there and no, she's like, reading the minds of her playmates. Oh, wasn't predicting playmates. The moods. But what and I'm she was saying, only five or six. she's looking at another trash like that kid's about shit his pants. And then the kid does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like nine right. times out of 10, you're going to be right. A kid's about to shit their pants. Exactly, right? 
So the girls soon became their family's main breadwinners as, you know, no one else was really making any money because the dad sucks. Exactly. And Buck continued to exploit their gift acting as their agent. As Emily said, he would, you know, bring them around to uh, town to town as fortune tellers. Uh, so they started out as fortune tellers, but they also expanded into spiritualism, tipping tables, commanding spirits to speak through them. And Tennessee went into doing magnetic healing as well. And Buck started advertising her as the Wonder Child. The Wonder Child. It was about this time when Victoria married and moved away, leaving Tennessee with her father. To Canning, the old, right. gross, not really a doctor. So things kind of continued as normal. And the next like major thing. I have is actually seven years after Victoria moved away. So 1860. Tennessee at this time was being advertised as a precocious fortune teller with the ability to cure diseases from cold sores to cancer. Consultations would cost $1 and Tennessee would work 13 hours a day thanks to Buck. They traveled across the Midwest and Buck would also sell Miss Tennessee's magnetic... Magnesio elixir. I'm sorry, her what? Magnesio elixir. The names of snake oil, and, like patent medicines back in the day, are always outrageous. I would assume because she did magnetic healing. Yeah. I, what Anyways, is that? <laughs> I, I literally put in, in, you know, brackets, completely worthless. Yeah. So he was selling it for $2. It's like wine cocaine and syrup <laughs> right during this time tennessee married john james bortle terrible name he's no colonel blood <laughs> no um in september of 1861 in sycamore in delcab county illinois decab oh there you go see it's good to have an Illin- illinois illinois yeah, that's what i was gonna say but i wasn't sure um however it's said that she divorced him only a few weeks later or maybe it's decab Fuck, I'm no one cares. You're terrible. The peep there is the one people person that live there listening that there who's like, Emily, you call yourself grown from the corn. How dare you? <laughs> I was birthed from a corn stalk at high the noon. Truth, the true children of the corn. Everyone saw my birth from three miles around because everything was flat and there was flat. no visual obstructions. Anyway, so she divorced him a few weeks later, probably because I'm assuming he didn't want to travel around with her family, <laughs> and I'm sure Buck wasn't letting her go. So it, during that same time frame, 1861-ish, she had seen Abraham Lincoln give a speech in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and she claimed that she knew that day that Lincoln was eventually going to be killed. Quote, he will never leave the White House alive. I heard a pistol shot and saw blood running from his head and his coffin in the carriage with him. End quote. I'm like trying to give her credit, but I'm sitting here. Right. Just it's like she said head. it after he died. Yeah. Anyone like, could say oh, that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You basically were like, I knew that right? established facts that everyone already knows would happen. And actually, right. a lot of people were worried oh, yeah. he was going to be assassinated from like day one. Oh, yeah. So being worried that he was going to be assassinated, like like people were worried I mean, she got a little bit more. She got a little bit more specific, but yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. You can say that you know, yeah, I knew JFK was going to be shot in a car. Like I well, saw it all. You know what's funny is like this whole hindsight is twenty twenty, but no amount of hindsight can account for the year twenty twenty. No, it's like terrible. we're all just going to be like, man. Even if I knew, I would still be like, what. 
What? <laughs> Why? Okay. So in 1863, Buck decided to up his assholeness and rent an entire hotel in Ottawa, Illinois. That's where the Radium Dial Corporation was Yay. based out of. Ottawa sucks. <laughs> um, he went and called himself the King of Cancer. The what? The King of Cancer. That makes it sound like he's pro-cancer. He advertised Tennessee's healing abilities. As part of their practice, the Claflins used lye, which would burn their patient's skin. So, you know, they were saying, like, no, it's healing you. That's like when your parent splashes alcohol on a wound and they're like, no, it burns because it's working. That's not what's happening here, though. That's horrifying. It's the opposite. Um, Within the year, the police raided the hotel which was, you know, a clinic, and the family fled. Authorities charged the family with nine crimes, including disorderly conduct, medical fraud, also known as quackery, which is quackery, <laughs> um, and Tennessee faced a charge that because she, she was blamed for the death of a patient named Rebecca Howe, who died of her cancer, like after seeing Tennessee. Oh... Uh, the family never went to court for their fake cancer cure, which they probably should have. I this feel is like one of those anyone... don't put Tennessee up on a pedestal because at this point she was old enough to know better. Yeah, I also feel like anyone who calls himself the, the king, king of, of cancer, cancer should immediately be arrested because they ain't doing good things. <laughs> so at this point, the family fled to Cincinnati where they were joined by Victoria and her family. So Cincinnati, yeah, Chicago. I was wrong. And something I, I do left- have them moving to Chicago in just a bit, though. Yeah. And something I had left out that she and Canning, they moved away and they went out west and she worked in like yeah. as an actress so and maybe a sex worker for a while. And now back. they're coming back together. Um, so above the door of their new home where they all live together, it read Tennessee Claflin and Victoria Woodhall clairvoyance, which I guess isn't bad. You know, it doesn't say king of cancer. <laughs> Dude, the bar was set so low for doing better. Right. (laughs) However, the sisters were plagued with problems. Neighbors claimed that their home was a house of prostitution, and Tennessee was actually even charged with adultery and figured into a blackmail case. Wait, is she even, is she still married to Booger? No, no, that lasted weeks. Okay, I I was going to say, I thought the father was like, nah, we're not doing this. So that means she slept with a married man. It was Bortle, not Booger. (laughs) It was a terrible, (laughs) stupid name. Um, (laughs) So at that point, the family was like, all right, we should probably like get out of Cincinnati. And this is when they moved to Chicago. There, Tennessee married John Bartles. Wait. Bortle? Bortle. James Bortle, and now she's marrying John Bartles. Bartles is a little better. I'm still going to yeah, call him Booger. I know. <laughs> um, but since her name was so well known at the time, Tennessee did not change her last name. And instead, this is where she signed herself as Tenny C. Claflin. So this is kind of where she picked up Tennessee. Like she people already called her that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. She's like, nah, honey, I love con- you, but no. Right? The sisters continued to tour around Chicago, but Bartles soon departed the scene. They didn't get divorced for a few years later, but he was like, nah, I don't want to be a part of this. So bugger number two. Right? The family then moved from Chicago to Pittsburgh and would stay there for several years. In the fall of 1868, Buck, a I can't because that's what you called him. So that's why I have to say his name. Book Book arranged for Tennessee um, and later Victoria. But Tennessee first to have an audience with Commodore Cornelius Vanderbilt. As we know, 
He Vanderbilt the railroads. Damn right he did. Um, and he was one of America's wealthiest man who had, who was seventy four at the time. Oh, um, and he but he was quite interested in spiritualism. This is just after. Yeah, because he's about to die. Well, and his first wife had just died. Oh, well, now I feel I, bad I, for bri- making a I, joke. Br- I bring it up in a little bit. OK, so later that year, the Claflin sisters or Claflin and Woodhall invaded Manhattan. They got a house on the Great Jones Street, which Victoria predicted they would live in. Yeah. Um, the spirits told her the spirits told her after she saw a wanted ad right um and they so they invaded manhattan and immediately began taking over the city they went to the commodore because of course you need top allies especially ones who own like half the fucking country yeah and of course the sisters you know buck definitely had them meet him at just the right time as he had always been superstitious who trusted mediums more than medical doctors and at this time he was still deeply mourning for his first wife oh i feel so bad for him because he's clearly he's an old old man who's yep, in mourning they definitely just who's really him. grasping at straws and they're definitely taking advantage of his desperation yeah my next my, thankfully victoria and tenny knew just what to do God, they learned from Book. Book and Roxana, who just kind of like, I assume she's still alive. I don't actually know. She's chilling, selling badge Um, crystals. Victoria began hosting seances to give the Commodore business, to give the Commodore business trips and talk to his wife while Tenny focused on magnetic healing. She was apparently so gifted that she became Vanderbilt's lover. And that's kind of like one of those history things where no one actually knows it's more just assumed because they spent a lot of time together, but no one actually knows. I mean, she would have been in her 20s. She would have been like 20. Actually might be more appropriate than Victoria's yep. yeah, whole fucking marriage. I, so when I was listening to the Queen's podcast. No, because that was 15 and like 28. This is 20 and 74. But at least she's an adult. <laughs> she's I don't legal. Know. Still... No, I'm not denying it's gross. I'm just saying at least that is legal. Like she's not a child she's young um but when i was listening to the queen's podcast they were talking about how like tenny was often seen sitting on cornelius's lap oh yeah i'm not done with this okay i i I won't spoil it then no you can go ahead well and then i guess that the servants reported finding her naked in bed in his mansion but they never found them together But she like so she was like sleeping over naked, quote unquote, alone. And I'm like, you know, that bitch was hiding under the bed like they heard the servants coming. Cornelius, get under the fucking bed or he dipped into another room or something like I. And who knows if those accounts are even accurate, but it just seems like uh, probably like if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's quackery. Like supposedly they did have pet names for each other. He called her my little sparrow and she called him the old goat. (laughs) I don't know if that's a pet name. Like, I don't. That's hot. Um, I'm I'm going to whip that out on Jared. (laughs) Oh, you old goat. (laughs) Please do and tell me That's how it when goes. we break up. That's how I'm going to end it. I'm going to call him an old goat. There were rumors that he asked her to marry him, but again, there's no record of it because obviously it didn't happen. And he does go on to marry someone else, and supposedly she was very upset by that. So, I think they were 
probably having some kind of romantic or sexual relationship. Yeah, maybe she, she didn't, felt anything. Well, for and him. that's the thing. Maybe she didn't want to marry him, but then when he married someone else, she got upset because she was like, "Great, now I'm going to be cut off from all his money." Yeah, it, it, this, this seems like a a situation of opportunity, not like, really "Man, the 74 year old man's really doing it for right. my 20 year old ass." <laughs> So later the next year, Victoria and Tennessee rented two rooms in the Posh Hoffman House, which was in New York City. Is that what was that the full name? Posh Hoffman House? No, it's the Hoffman House, but it's oh. a very posh place. Well, that was that's just poor branding. Yeah, right. So that was late 1869. By spring of the next year, they sent out calling cards announcing their new brokerage for- firm, Woodhall, Claflin and Company, because these girls are just so creative. You know what? They're being very upfront about who they are and right. what they're doing, which is saying something considering they're so shysters. You, you didn't go super in depth on the brokerage firm. You did a I little did not. bit. But so I they, was fascinated by what a stockbroker was. Yeah, right. <laughs> so they charged $25 in advance for a consultation. And obviously they were backed by the Commodore. They had an elegantly furnished office and they opened on February 14th. 1870. Valentine's Day. So this made, as Emily said, Victoria and Tennessee the first women to open a Wall Street brokerage firm. I think you said that. Yes. If you didn't say that, there you go. Now you know. Um, The sisters were so besieged by visitors coming to like just gawk at them that they had to have the police on hand to keep order. Yeah. Because they send out all those calling cards so people like knew when they would be opening. I, yeah. I still love that it was such a novelty to see women in finance that people were like, I got to see this shit for myself because there's no way this right. is real. Yep. Like, And Emily mentioned some of the articles that came out when they opened the bro- brokerage firm, but I'll, I'll mention a few more. I just love the, the article the New York Times wrote. I love that it was called Wall Street Aroused. Why you got to make it sexual? Right? Why? Um, They questioned the sisters' potential for success, not because they were women, actually, but because of their um, spiritualism and unorthodox causes that they supported. I mean, good on the New York Times, I guess, for not being like they're women. Wait, so they were saying they... So instead of saying they're successful because they're women and that's a novelty... No, they just questioned if they would be successful, not because they were women, oh, I see. but I because see. they were unorthodox and had weird spiritual beliefs. And honestly, that's a totally valid thing to be like, I don't know if this is going to work out because it, they're kind of weird. They're kind of weird and people might <laughs> not like spooky. them, right? Um, Harper's Weekly, I think you mentioned, dubbed them the Bewitching Brokers. That might I have to be the uh, the title of this episode. Um, another wrote of them calling them the Queens of Finance. A third described their office as the Palace of Female Sovereigns of Wall Street, which I actually really like that one. That's lovely. And they also called attention to the regal beauty of Victoria and the feisty flirtiness of Tenny. I so I like that they like kind of complimented them, but then also discussed their looks, which is just par for the course. Yeah, I was going to say it's like hard to be mad because it's just expected. And it's funny because not not to just ro- jump on the bandwagon, they were both very beautiful women. Well, they were. You know? And I mean, it's a, they, you know, and the thing is like, the other reason they were probably gawked at is because they were, they had short hair at the time. Their dresses were short enough to show their boots. Um, And they were known for kind of like quiet social rebellion. You know, they were known to have those attitudes. And so that's probably why they were treated as novelties, especially in the press. And I love this quote from Tennessee, quote, 
Were I to notice what is said by what we call society, I could not leave my apartment except in fantastic walking dress and ballroom costume. But I despise what squeamy crying girls or powdered counter jumping dandies say to me. I'm I'm sorry. So this wine is really hitting me. Say that last thing. Powdered counter jumping dandies. Powdered counter jumping dandies. Yep. That is such a beautiful string of words. I am a Squeamy crying girls or powdered counter jumping dandies. Oh, that's beautiful. Right? I'm going to let that just wash over me. Um, <laughs> Victoria and Tennessee, though, had hit upon an untapped source of investments. Society wives, widows, high-priced prostitutes, teachers, small business owners that were women, actresses, and madams all came to their company and their firm was an immediate financial success because all these women are like why would i trust men who look down on me to to take you know my money and invest it properly i'm gonna go to these women supposedly they earned seven hundred thousand dollars in the first six weeks they were in business which was about is about 13 million in today's money shut the fuck up you know, that makes me even more upset, though, because when I read that Victoria went broke, I think both of the sisters were kind of broke at For the time. time. Um, I was like, what happened to the brokerage firm? It sounded like you guys were doing really well. And now hearing how well um, they were doing, I'm like, what did you from do? From my notes, they spent a lot of it on Victoria's presidential Ugh. run. So, like, here's the thing. I don't want to take away from Victoria's achievement of being the first woman to run for president and, you know, secure the nomination and everything. But just from everything else we know about her, it almost seems like a stunt. It, I, it really does. Because I'm like, there's like, no way you could have no thought way you she would was win. Going, yeah, there's no way she thought she was going to win. I think she did have some strong ideals minus the eugenics that she that were fueling her. And I don't want to just be like, oh, she was running because she was a woman. And that was crazy at the time. But I'm like, yeah, you guys bankrupted yourselves for this. And your VP didn't even agree to it. It just didn't right. seem like he didn't they even took acknowledge it. it. Yeah, it just didn't seem like she took it terribly yeah. seriously. Yeah, and no. that bothered me. So, again, this is we need to look at these historical figures and acknowledge them for their faults as well as their victories. Yeah. So I actually have a quote from Victoria coming up, and I'm surprised you didn't put it in yours. So most people, including myself, would be really happy with this success and can just continue on doing what they were doing. But the sisters weren't satisfied. They had bigger plans. Victoria would later say, quote, we went on to Wall Street, not particularly because I wanted to be a broker, but because I wanted to plant the flag of women's rebellion in the center of the continent. That's awesome. Although isn't Wall Street like in New York, which is definitely not the center yeah, of the it's, continent. It's not, but if, if you I get what Wall it's Street, like, it's kind of the I center of the world the of finance. Heart of the continent. Yeah. That would have been better. Just saying. Anyways, with the profits of the their brokerage firm. As Emily said, the sisters started a radical newspaper, Woodhall and Claflin's Weekly, because again, they're getting their names out there. I though. know, this but is it's good just personal so branding. They're funny. like the Kardashians, you know. And Emily already kind of discussed what they talked about, and that the fact that the free love movement was considered very fringe at this time. 
Which I think is so interesting because when we think of free love now, I feel like we think of the 70s and like, yeah, let's yeah. just have sex with everyone and we're going to have orgies. And like, and that it, wasn't this free love. No, it was basically what we understand today as sexual autonomy and like consent. Yeah. And the yep. idea that that was a radical thing, it, it makes sense why people struggle with the ideas of consent today. It's like, yeah, the whole idea of respecting someone's sexual autonomy and enforcing it. Right. Isn't that new? No. Or isn't um, that old? I don't one know. of Tenney's biographers, Myra McPherson, said, quote, in arguing that a woman had a right to freedom regarding her own body, to choose her mate, to decide when she wanted sex, and actually to enjoy it, the sisters were so far ahead of the era that they were openly called prostitutes in print. And Myra McPherson, she's the one that wrote The Scarlet Sisters yep. that I really want to read. Um Woodhall and Claflin's Weekly was also the first paper in America to print the Communist Manifesto. It was. Karl so, you Marx. know, that probably didn't gain them a lot of followers. It did not. And it, it, it's interesting because at the time, socialism and socialist ideals were super popular. Uh, and that was kind of before we saw the failings of communism. Yeah. I'm not saying that certain like... Um, Ideals. Yeah, because like there you see countries who take on what are called socialist programs, like basically social. It's one of the things that not everything. It's it's when you get too far in any one direction Mm -hmm. that the problems start. Yeah, like I I think it bothers me. I super don't agree with communism. It was terrible. It harm it, 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 it irreparably harmed people humanity society that doesn't mean we shouldn't have social safety nets though no. like i don't know why those two things can't be separate yeah um, I, it's anyway dumb. it's dumb. it's it's dumb that whenever people use the word socialist everyone just immediately thinks like you know you have social security and unemployment insurance and a lot of things that people are relying on now especially in a pandemic and those are considered socialist yeah anyways my next section is just titled politics <laughs> So, in 1871, the sisters tried to vote in a municipal election and were turned away. Not surprising. But later that year, Tennessee decided to announce her candidacy for New York's 8th Congressional District. At the time, the 8th Congressional District was largely German-American, and Tennessee announced her candidacy um, at Irving Plaza, surrounded by German and American flags, and delivered the speech in German. So her I mom must have definitely been German. Couldn't find it. No, she had to learn the language. Oh. Um, I guess that doesn't mean her mom wasn't German, but for this particular speech, she had to learn the language. Okay. Um, I literally didn't find anywhere the outcome of the election, so I'm assuming she lost. Yeah. That That's interesting. I didn't know she also ran for political office. Yeah. Um, the following year, Victoria was nominated for president uh, by the newly formed Equal Rights Party. Which is not a thing anymore. I don't think it was long lived. <laughs> no. During that same summer after Victoria announced her candidacy, Tennessee made a bid for the coloni- colonial sea? Colonial sea? I don't know how you pronounce that word. Colonial sea is what I'm going to go with. Of the 9th Regiment of the New York National Guard. The post had been vacant since the death of robber baron Jim Fisk in January of 1872. So several months. Tennessee's candidacy was widely mocked by the press because why, you know, why would a woman run a National Guard regiment? Um, And the men of the regiment ignored her offer. was like, they were like, no. But the commander, Thomas J. Griffin, invited her to run for the colonelcy of the newly organized 85th Regiment for black soldiers. 
Oh, Where? so they'll give her their like side well, no, project. They, well, they said you can run for it. Oh, okay. Um, aware of her past advocacy and her professional success, the members of the 85th Re- Regiment did elect her their colonel. Oh, shit. They were like, fuck yeah, we'll take her. That's amazing. So due to all this political stuff going on, um, by this time, the sisters' funds were drained. Their press company had closed down in 1873 when the Depression began, their brokerage firm, obviously. I mean, they're like, yeah. Um, They're SOL. So they had little funds, their allies were few, and times were getting desperate. Said this. This is why you save your cash, guys. And this is when Victoria played her last card. Using the, the gossip that she got from Elizabeth Cady Stanton, she published all the sordid details of the Beecher-Tilton affair, accusing the Brooklyn preacher of not only adultery with a married woman, but being a hypocrite. I mean, yes yeah. to both? Because <laughs> how, how can you preach against, like, you know, sexual autonomy when you're cheating on your wife with someone else's right. wife? You didn't really go in too much depth on this, did you? I, I didn't. I basically... Okay. Good, because I do. So good, that's fine. good. So Henry Ward Beecher was the son of the famous Calvinist theologian Lyman Beecher and the brother to Harriet Beecher Stowe, who Emily did mention. And he was probably the best known Protestant minister in the United States at the time, earning about $100,000 a year as a minister. Holy shit. Is that in today's money? $100, no. Oh, my God. Um, he was also a leader of an anti- the anti-slavery um, movement. And he was a he was known as a speaker. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you got if you want to be a preacher, you got to be pretty good at speaking. Right. Which is why I'm not one. So when the story came out, one hundred thousand copies were published. So they were like filling we, the tea. We hard. know people are going to want this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the built the Beecher Tilton scandal was on the cover. The article took the format of an interview between Victoria and an unnamed reporter, Elizabeth Gaddy Stanton. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Victoria gave all the salacious details between the, of the affair between Henry and Elizabeth. Was um, it Elizabeth? Yeah, Elizabeth, okay, Rich- I th- uh, Elizabeth Richards Tilton was her name. I think I said Eliza. Theodore Tilton. I think I said Eliza, so that's my bad. Victoria gave her sources, her sources, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Isabella Beecher Hooker, and Paulina Wright Davis. So she's saying she actually had more than one source. Um, and letters from the three women were actually published to corroborate her story. So oh she's my like, God. nah, this shit's real. Yeah, she's not just saying this. She's backing up her accusations. In the same issue, Tennessee came out to th- and threatened further revelations about other important men. By printing a letter from an anonymous madam who claimed to have recorded the names and addresses of several of her clients. Oh, no. Some people accused Tennessee of writing this letter herself. However, um, journalist Barbara Goldsmith believes that this letter came from the famous madam Annie Wood, who was a friend of both Victoria and Tennessee. That's amazing. Like, they're just digging the dirt up on everyone. This is kind of like a... It's like a tabloid. Well, it... Okay. But real. It almost feels like a pre-Me Too thing, except it's it's more like, these are all the men that are preaching that we need to be faithful and, you know, stay the course sexually, but then they're cheating on their wives. Right. And no one cares because they're men. Yeah. Basically. Which is bullshit. Before the end of the week that the issue had been uh, put out, it had been reprinted 
So by the end of the week, it was already being reprinted and was selling for $40 a copy, which is $853.73 today. Oh my, can you imagine spending $800? I wouldn't do it. I can't imagine spending $800 on anything that's not for my house. Right. Immediately after the issue came out, the sisters were arrested on charges of obscenity, thanks to the overzealous efforts of Anthony Comstock, who was a vigilante, um, who was kind of known for, like, his anti-smut, like, anti- He was a prude. Yeah. And he was very famous for that. And that's where the Comstock um, And he actually created from. something called the New York Society for the dis- the Suppression of Vice. Anyways. Fucking nerd. For six months, he basically made Victoria and Tennessee's lives hell. Because he basically made it his mission to just continuously jail them if they kept getting off. He had them arrested Eight times, including oh. on election night when Ulysses S. Grant won. Oh, my um, God. During this time, though, Victoria and Tenny still went on speaking engagements. Uh, one time, they were supposed to speak at the city museum. Particularly, Victoria was supposed to see- speak at the um, city museum, and she had to go to extra lengths to get in. She said, quote, I soon presented the appearance of an old and decrepit Quaker lady. In this costume, I confidently entered the hall, passing half a dozen or more United States Marshals who stood guarding the entrance and warning people that there would be no lecture that night. So certain were they of arresting me, but I passed them all safely, one of them even essaying to assist me through the crowd. Every day I'm hustling, hustling. Sometimes you have to respect... Right. The 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 shystery and the hustle that they engage with, you know? Right. And then, as Emily said, eventually Theodore, Theodore Tilton brought a suit against Henry Beecher Ward for criminal intimacy and that ended in a hung jury. London and later life. Ooh. So in the wake of the Beecher trial, the sisters left New York for London, although ev- most evidence suggests that the sisters actually had to move away because the heirs of Cornelius Vanderbilt wanted them gone to not yeah. fight over the ha- family's money, even though he had married someone else by this point. I just, you know, I, I think the argument could be made that because of their quote-unquote business yeah. relationship as his, like, personal spiritualist, so, there could but be they, a claim. Basically, people are like, no, they, they got paid to leave the country. Yeah, but I definitely think him and Tenny were getting down. Uh, my next line is, uh, by this time, the Commodore uh, had been remarried. The second marriage had been a surprise to Tennessee and by the middle of 1871 so several years before he died that she she they had actually been kind of pushed out of his life by then so that that's why I was kind of surprised that they still were like please leave the country here's the thing anyone can really argue a will or whatever so they can but if you're uh, really not on the piece of paper usually you're not going to get anything. So but back then it might have been easier. Yeah. So my, uh, I think it was my grandmother's cousin. She passed away mm-hmm. and some relative from the old country, because she was an immigrant, showed up in her later years and was like, hey, we're related. I'm going to hang out with you and build a relationship. And then, uh, you know, she got old. She got sick. There was some sketchiness, like when she needed medical attention, he took her to a hospital outside of the the city where she was living. That's right. Um, and then she died, and she had no children. 
her husband had died. Mm-hmm. She owned this apartment building. Uh, apparently, she had like money hidden in the walls and floors wow. and shit. And this dude like ripped through that building looking for money and tried to kind of conceal the fact that she had died so he could have access to all of her assets. And then all of a sudden, all these fucking relatives from Poland and all over the goddamn place are coming out being like, I want money. Meh, 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 meh. So my mom gets, or my grandmother gets a call because she was still alive at this point from someone who's like, it's it's a company where basically if there are, uh, if there's a death and maybe there are some contested assets, they'll reach out to people who might be entitled to something and be like, if you pay us, we'll take care of this for you. And my grandma was like, fuck off, like thinking it was garbage. And then my mom gets the same call because there was some kind of um, savings account for her and my aunt. Like, I mean, it wasn't a lot or anything, no, yeah, but, it was but this went on for over five years because all of these weird relatives no, came out of the woodwork. Some of them weren't even relatives. I, I think the first when guy Justin's, was. Justin's grandpa died. Yeah, they had to like put something in the newspaper basically. But it wasn't, it was more like, hey, if this person has any debts with you or owes you any money, come forward now. It's not, hey, if you're this person's relative, come get your share of the pie because that's not how it works. Right, but so there are all these lawyers and all these people. So... And that this was is why you have a will, people. Well, I, it's weird because I, th- I think my mom thought she had a will, but like had mysteriously disappeared. The this dude is why who you have a will was sketchy. This is why you have a will and you file it with your lawyer or put it in a safe deposit box. Yeah. Seriously, people. Yeah. Don't screw over your own families. Yeah. And I mean, it, you know, she she was, she was you're old. old. She came from a different generation. Well, like and I said, when she you're had all, money when you're all in al- the wolves. When you're all alone, of course you're going to trust someone that says they're your relative. Yeah. And, and I'm sure for her that was totally normal, this whole idea of someone finding you from the old country and all that. So... That was, you know, in modern times. That was in yeah. the 2000s. So especially now, I think with it's just, so much I think money it's just at easier stake. to just be like, here is a small chunk of cash. Please leave. And that's exactly what they did. Exactly. And I was reading that book, um, Women of Means. And anytime someone died, everyone's contesting over every little penny. Yeah. It's fucking disgusting. Um, so after she moved... To England, uh, Tennessee met Francis Cook, who was a wealthy elderly widower. See, she just has a thing for old guys, apparently. Yeah, I think they, I think they like her because she's young and spirited. Yeah, I know, I but think I'm she saying likes them because clearly, they're stable and established. Yeah, apparently, I didn't keep this in my notes because it was mainly about Victoria. But they said um, blood. Victoria's husband like helped calm Tenny down, like because she was apparently a wild child. But like after spending time with Victoria and him like she apparently calmed down quite a bit it, it really strikes me as like kind of this typical older sibling younger sibling relationship like yeah but apparently it was more like him than her like it was something about his influence that like calmed Tenny down I think he came in and was probably a paternal exactly I think it was a father figure, figure exactly. that she never had um but anyways Tennessee met Francis Cook who was, yeah, wealthy, but the, the elderly widower who was interested in spiritualism and held the title of Viscon de Montessat, bestowed by the King of Portugal. Ooh. He was also the chairman of Cook, Son, and Co. Drapers. 
Fancy. So this, this was my Draper person. I, for some reason, thought it was the Commodore. No, it was the Viscond. Okay. Tennessee informed Francis that she had a message from him from his departed wife urging her to, him to marry Tennessee. So they both used the spirits to get married. Yeah, that's why I thought it was weird. I was like, wait, Victoria did that too? Yeah. Um. So he did. They got married in 1885, soon after Francis was awarded for... Uh, rewarded for his contributions to the arts by being made a baronet, which made um, Tennessee now Lady Cook. Oh, shit. Lady Tenny. So her full name. Where did I write it down? Oh, it must be at the end. Okay. Sorry. Because she actually has a really, really pretty name. Like when you say her like full name. Because it's Lady Tennessee Celeste Cook. And I'm like, that's beautiful. I like Lady Celeste. Lady Tennessee Celeste. I love the name Celeste. Oh. Although it makes me think of the Mary Celeste and that bums me out. Anyways, <laughs> Lady Tennessee became known in London society for her lavish parties. She dispensed the, the cook fortune by making contributions to schools and charities, helping to found the Alexandra House in London, which was a home and a school for women artists. Um, she would also back other causes, not just in London, but in the United States. She contributed to a large amounts of money to the suffrage movement, was an advocate of education for both girls and boys, and took up where her sister left off lecturing on the themes. It varied from the Constitution to advocating for the care of illegitimate child. So basically when Victoria kind of like stopped being in the public eye... Tennessee stepped up and was like, no, I'm still going to champion these causes. She was equally at home with the protocol of the royalty that surrounded her and the rough and tumble world that she had come from. So she was just just as comfortable speaking to the other barons and baronesses as she was speaking to, you know, a worker coming out of a coal mine. Well, and I don't want to give her give their father book credit or anything, but I wouldn't give First her credit. All, I the, would just say, skills, like, they grew up in poverty. They learned those skills. Yeah, but, like, the skills he gave them, particularly with reading people and being a, being a con artist and kind of presenting yourself as something that maybe you don't identify with or feel comfortable with, I think definitely helped them later in life because... It, it's that confidence. that That's right. the con. It's and, the I mean, confidence my, man. Yeah, my next thing was Tennessee was a woman who always seemed to know what to say and how to say it. The result was that no one ever forgot her. That's cool. Um, except people did because more people know about her sister and no one really knows about it's her. It's because she ran for president. Yeah, I, honestly, I, um, I truly believe that is the big difference between the two because they were so similar. They did so many of these things together. Yeah. Tenny also ran for office. She won. She was. Well, she, she became a colonel. Well, still, it's that's not really huge. like, yeah, you know, it's not like an office office kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, but still, you know what I mean? That seems like a big accomplishment, especially for a woman at the time. But she's definitely overshadowed because the title of first woman to run for the president right. of the United States care has such a large shadow. Even if she didn't take it as seriously as maybe she should have. Like, I don't think she believed she would actually win. No. I really don't. No. Even I though agree. she did say that the spirits said that she was destined to be president. It's like, well, apparently not. <laughs> I burped. So her husband died in 1901, leaving her well taken care of. Like, obviously, he was very well off and their husbands died the same year really that's That's crazy spooky by this point the sisters had grown apart and you know they were not really in contact anymore however lady tennessee became involved 
England's women's suffrage at this point. And for a while, um, she had hoped to found a bank. And on another occasion, she wanted to erect a home for unwed mothers. I read different stories on both of the, or not both of these, on the bank mainly. One said that she did found it and it just didn't do very well. And then another source said that she thought about it, but never actually did it. So who knows? Who knows? Um, gradually, she just kind of faded from sight. You know, she... She kind of stopped being in the public eye and just kind of, you know, lived her life quietly. She died while visiting the conductor, Sir Thomas Beecham, who had married her grandniece, Lady Utica Wells Beecham. Utica. It's another place. They're keeping the theme strong. She died on January 18th, 1923 at the age of 77. She died in 1923. She died before Victoria. That's so sad. She was seven years younger. I don't actually have a legacy for Tennessee because... Because she's been so overshadowed by her well, sister. She, she didn't win any awards. She hasn't yeah. been inducted into any, like... But, I mean, she was still one of the first women brokers. You know, she still lived her life. She almost got arrested for murder. <laughs> manslaughter. Manslaughter. It's uh, different. I think it was murder. See, I read now, it was manslaughter. Now I have to scroll back down. See, she is represented in the Scarlet Sisters Sex Suffrage and Scandal in the Gilded Age by Myra McPherson. Yeah. And I definitely want to read the book too. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Mine just said face the most serious charges. She was blamed for the death of a patient. That's what okay. mine says. So I would assume it's manslaughter. Yeah. Right. They had a weird name for manslaughter. The Queen's podcast talks about that. I cannot remember the name, but it's like buggery or some. I mean, if they Silly called shit. medical malpractice quackery, quackery, you know, they just called it one tarnation. <laughs> Good grief. And here's the thing. I'm so glad we got to cover these women together because one, you're right. Tenny has been overshadowed by Victoria. Right. And I, I would say unjustly so because they were both champions of very similar causes. So many of Victoria's accomplishments were done with Tennessee. Right. And I like Victoria is not the champion that she's often presented as. That doesn't mean that her accomplishments should be erased. But we also no. need to acknowledge the Butchery. wars. Butchery. That's delightful. I was that what you were thinking of? Maybe. I, I feel like if I heard it, I wouldn't even remember it now because I've had too much wine. But but you know what I yeah, mean? It, yeah. It's like we are we're kind of in this phase where we're holding historical figures accountable, you know, with Jefferson being a slave owner who raped his slaves to the point where they had children, you know, Andrew Jackson. I don't know. Maybe they didn't like him that much at their at their no, time really. either. But he was oh, sorry. integral for the decimation of indigenous peoples in the United yeah, States. And we can acknowledge their I mean, success literally almost but we also need to acknowledge their harms because otherwise we won't learn from it right i'm pretty sure like you should never put anyone on a pedestal there is no such thing as anyone being perfect yes you can praise someone's accomplishments that's great that should happen but everyone has flaws Every, like me and my husband have had this conversation where he's like, I'm never going to tell you you're perfect. And I'm like, I am fine with that. Be <laughs> because I'm not. No, well, and because sometimes being told you're perfect or be ha having had or like having that expectation of knowing someone expects you to be perfect is harder. 
You know, because you're like, oh, God, I have to do everything right or I'm going to let this person down. That was a whole storyline on Frasier. Was it really? Yeah, because uh, Daphne was idolized by Niles for so long. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. I remember that. And then the actress got pregnant after they decided to move forward with the Daphne Niles yep, relationship. and then they just put that in the show. Well, and basically they were they covered it up. They didn't say she was pregnant. They said she'd gotten fat and then she had to go away to like fat camp basically, like some some spa so she would lose weight. And when she came back, obviously after having the baby, which is what really happened, she had this conversation with Niles where she's like, you can't put me on this pedestal of this like goddess status because I was eating my feelings because I was anxious about meeting your expectations. Yeah. And then he has to admit like, yeah, you're not perfect, but I still love you. Exactly. That's the whole that's the whole thing. Frazier can teach us everything. (laughs) That's funny. For some reason, I thought they put her pregnancy into the show. Um, like no. as her being pregnant. Okay. No, maybe they, I don't remember if they did in a later season, but yeah, when she got pregnant, they basically draped her Fat in Babby, Babby, they do baggy that, fabric they do that and said so she was getting often, fat. Though. Like, yeah. Or they won't even like make a comment on it and they'll just put people in baggy clothes. Yeah. There was actually, okay. Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, the actress who played the mom, she got pregnant. And so she used to wear these like pretty tight shirts, like yeah. nothing, you know, inappropriate for a children's show. But then she started wearing these like really shapeless baggy shirts. I remember thinking like as a kid, like that's weird. She's always been so stylish and it just feels like they're kind of like making her a little dowdy and then i realized later oh they were concealing her pregnancy right so you always got to admire the shows that just put the pregnant like for bones when the main actress got pregnant they're like all right i guess you're pregnant see and i get it because it can be kind of hard to wedge a pregnancy and if it doesn't make sense for the story because the story is not real life the story is not reflective of real life you know exactly so I'm sorry, what were we talking We're ending our episode. Yes. But yeah, that is the story of uh, Victoria Woodhull. And Tennessee Claflin. Uh, Lady Tennessee Claflin. Lady Tennessee Claflin. Claflin. Celeste Claflin. Celeste Claflin. Because apparently she never, like they called her Lady Cook, but like when when you look at Wikipedia and stuff, like they still call her Claflin. So I don't know if she ever actually took his name. Yeah. Other than in title. Which I mean, I'll take a lady. Yeah, I'll be lady. Sure. I'll be lady cook. I won't change my last name, but I'll take a lady. <laughs> uh, but yeah, seriously, those are the messy, dramatic, twisty stories of these two sisters. Mm-hmm. And uh just a little reminder that no one is perfect and should be put up on a pedestal. Like I know our podcast Except is all like, You go, girl, and you're the best, but and honestly, we're all people and we all it's, make mistakes. You go, girl, you did great things. But if but you you're were, not necessarily a great person. But if you're a proponent of eugenics, that's fucking awful. And no, you like, should be ashamed. I was reading something about that. That Like someone was like, oh, you know, this like they were talking about someone and the person they were talking to was like, oh, you shouldn't like them for this reason, this reason, this reason, this. Re-. Oh, it was about characters in like a book or something. Yeah. And someone was like, this is my favorite character. And they're like, why? He does all these terrible things. And he's like, he is a great character he does great things it does not mean he is a great person yeah to to enjoy a fictional character even if they're terrible is different than enjoying i feel like there are some people like that in real life where you're like okay you have good ideas you're just not a good person yourself right yeah and then there are people that are just trash human beings 
Well, and I actually, so I found an article on Medium that was written by Sandra uh, Kinsley, K-N-I-S-L-E-Y. So no, 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 th- this is relevant. So I immediately, when I found out that there was going to be a biopic on Victoria Woodhull with Brie Larson, I immediately Googled him. Like, that was in 2017, where are we? And I found this article, and it was basically talking about, like, yeah, why, Victoria, maybe we shouldn't be elevating her to this star status. And here's my thing with that. I agree. If the biopic does not acknowledge the warts, it's a disservice. Yeah. If they do acknowledge the warts. If they're like, hey, and they she don't did all build this her stuff, up to this soup, like superhuman yeah, goddess then status. It's okay. Yeah. So I agree. So Kelly, what are you thankful for? Like the week is over. Yay, the That's week it. is That's over. This week was shit. <laughs> this is how shitty this week was. I came home on Monday. Yeah, day no, one. Monday was so bad, and it really didn't get any better. Day one. And here's the weird thing. So for my week, cookies. nothing particularly bad happened. I was just chronically overwhelmed, yeah, no, where I still terrible. feel like I haven't stopped moving. I'm like, is this what sharks See, feel like? I understand that, because mine was like, the really bad thing happened on Monday, and then I just felt perpetually overwhelmed yes. since then. But so on Monday, I came home after feeling extremely overwhelmed and overstimulated. And Jared was doing dishes. Aww. And I have all these electric candles around That's woman the house. Porn right there. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I have just... a book. I'm not kidding. Someone sent it to me. That's like porn. It's like a book and the title says like porn for women. And, and yeah, it's like it's me- like shirtless men doing house chores. Yes, that's or, all or it giving is. you nice compliments. Yeah, that's like, all it is. I'm really proud of you, honey. It's great. Yes. But so he was doing dishes and I have all these electric candles set up around the house and he had lit them all. He had like turned them all on. And I've been doing that because I'm like, OK, with quarantine calms you down. and especially with winter coming, like I'm going to be spending a lot more time in my house. Yep. I want to make this as like nice and ambient and fun and enjoyable as possible. And so the fact that he lit the candles and was doing dishes, I literally started crying. That's how overwhelmed and grateful I was. This is how good of a girlfriend I am. It takes this much Right. So little to make me happy. Well, it was like the other day I noticed that like Justin had like cleaned the microwave and I was like, thank you for cleaning the oh microwave. Because it was getting real gross. Okay. When, yeah. Yeah. When Jared cleans the microwave, like whatever well, Especially when it's just completely <laughs> out of the blue. And yeah. Just you like, didn't ask for it. And you like don't like, it's one of those things that you like put something in the microwave and then you like have to like, you're about to shut it. You have to like reopen it and go, oh shit, look how clean my microwave is. Here's the thing. Consent is always important, but you never need someone's consent to do the dishes or, or clean, clean the, the microwave. microwave. Agree. Or vacuum or do- whatever. Like House chores. Very few people are going to yell at you for doing house just chores. Just do it, guys. Uh, but yeah, uh, so you're thankful that the week is over. I'm thankful that Jared did dishes. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I saw we got a new five-star review this week, and I'm also very thankful for that. We do look at those. We do we read, read them. them. We reread them very the frequently. Time. So... All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Whining About Herstory. Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our email address is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com and our website is whiningaboutherstory.com. We also have a Patreon, which we've already mentioned, and a Teespring if you want to get some sweet, sweet merch. Just search Whining About Herstory. We have some merch that is excellent if you're a knitting fan uh, and if you like to kick ass. 
So, or if you just like our podcast, oh, that too. Um, also, you can join us for as li- our Patreon for as little as one dollar a month. You can get access to bonus episodes, video content, bonus content. We and we're we're rolling. We're getting ready to roll out more stuff. We're kind of still in the planning yeah. phases. We just want to make sure that we can consistently produce the extra content we're doing now. Right. We depending on if this lockdown gets extended, there might not be a video episode next month. That might be a little tricky to do socially distanced. We'll see. Yeah. If we can, we'll do it. If not, maybe we'll throw something else out there for you guys. Yeah. Nudes. No, I'm kidding. And I'm off the podcast. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.